Always enjoy my conversations with Christian Center author, columnist. You see his work at nationalreview.com and uh, all things politics, certainly part of his uh, his toolkit. And he also is a, a great source for culture stuff to music as well. So Christian Sutter joins us every other week on the uh, show. Welcome, Christian. Hey, thanks for having me again. So we're going to be more political focused today because there's, I mean, there's a lot of, obviously, things that are happening. New Hampshire primary today, Ron DeSantis dropping out. So let's kind of start with the, the big picture I've had a lot of conversation with uh, folks on the show, away from the show, about what Iowa said, what New Hampshire might do to the race. Let me ask it this way. Is this now just basically Trump-Biden 2.0? Is that what, is that what we're going to get? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. In a word, yes. Well, thanks for joining me, Christian. I appreciate your... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk to you in two weeks. Um, look, Nikki Haley needs to win tonight. She's probably not going to do that uh, John Dickerson of CBS News had a had a good line. He said uh, Haley's only hope tonight is to make it close enough to where Trump accuses her of trying to steal it. Um, but she's she's got to win tonight in order to carry that on to South Carolina, where she's down by you know twenty five to thirty points uh, to Trump in her own home state. So they know her pretty well, and it's going to be tough for her to to turn that around. So. Um, you know, people made fun of me when I said after Iowa that it's a two-person race because uh, Haley finished third, and all the DeSantis people were like, well, Ron DeSantis finished second. Why isn't he still in the race? But uh, he was never playing in New Hampshire, and he's in single digits in South Carolina, and, then, of course, just dropped out. So um, I told you guys all along it was a two-person race, but uh, after tonight, it's probably a one-person race. A couple things on that. So, obviously, strategy matters. I was just having a, a social media conversation with a friend of mine about, you know, why we have caucuses in the New Hampshire primary, which I think are unrepresentative of the, of the population of our country, but I understand the tradition of how we do things. And they they may demonstrate to parties, which is sort of the point for candidates, I guess, that they're the uh, they're running the right right race. So, strategy for Haley and DeSantis... Did they do the same thing? Are they different? Talk about that. So I have a lot of friends on the right who are never Trumpers who have been bitterly critical of both DeSantis and Haley for not going after Donald Trump enough. Um, And I have, too. I've written pieces where, you know, Haley said some weird things like, uh, you know, wokeness is even worse than. Uh, the pandemic and, uh, you know, saying she'd pardon Trump and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think she's gotten it together here in, in the last week. It's not going to be enough. But, uh, you know, we have examples of people who went after Trump and they're called, they're named Chris Christie, who had 3% in the polls and was out, uh, you know, a week ago. So it's, it, it's kind of a, you know, all, all the candidates would have had to agree, we're all going to go after Trump because of the, the one candidate that broke that pledge and, uh, you know, refused to go after Trump would have a leg up. And, uh, you know, so it didn't work out. Had Nikki Haley gone after Trump like Chris Christie had, she would have been out of the race when Chris Christie was. So I think she played it right to this point uh, and is now going after him. The question is whether Trump was ever beatable to begin with, and I think the answer is probably no. But, you know, she gave it a shot. 
And now Haley has indicated today on on the campaign trail in New Hampshire in advance of the the results you know, later tonight that she's in it to at least South Carolina. A part of me wants to think that maybe the strategy strategy for some candidates and and she's the only one really left is that if something happens with Trump, whatever that is, and you know whether we're going to have convictions or not or or acquittals, who knows? I mean, anything can happen in politics in America, and anything can happen in the court system. Is this a, a basically a, a strategy in a campaign of now, hey, if you need me, I'm a viable candidate, I'm here. Is that the Nikki Haley strategy? Right. So you have to you have to game out when when the party picks Trump, what is exactly going to happen? Because, you know, we could head into the uh, Republican convention in Milwaukee with Trump being a convicted felon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he could he could be found guilty of something uh, at that point. So then what what does the party do then? They don't go with whoever Trump picked as his vice president because they hadn't run a race. I mean, they basically, you know, if he cannot serve, then they have to start the whole process over again. And, you know, does, does Ron DeSantis come back in? You know, is Haley still in the race at that point? Is, you know, does Chris Christie come back in? Do you just throw the whole thing wide open and have to have to run a full primary in about a month? I mean, I know Republicans want Donald Trump, but you have to game this out, you know, what the natural consequence of of him being your nominee is. So. Or, you know, he runs, he wins, and then we have a, a president who goes to prison <laughs> right. while he's the president, and then he has the, the choice of whether to pardon himself. So uh, that's where we're headed, and uh, I don't know. So for for Haley, I guess, you know, she's she put out a statement today that said not only she's, is she staying in through uh, South Carolina, but she's also staying in through Super Tuesday, which is in March. Right. Maybe she's, you know, maybe she's waiting for something to happen to Trump. That seems like the strategy all along. They think he's going to go to prison or something's going to happen or, you know, he's going to have some sort of health problem. And so the, the longer you stay in, the better. But um, I don't know. They've That's been the strategy for four years now, and uh, <laughs> uh, they're still waiting. Somebody asked me this question the other day. I think it was on one of my Ask Steve Anythings. How would, how would we, given these candidates, this former president, this party, Republicans, how would we define conservatism now? Because I'm not sure that I even have the answer to that, and I'd be curious to know what you think. Yeah, I mean, conservatism now is whatever Donald Trump says. It's, uh, you know, protectionism. It's uh, more regulation, uh, especially in areas of, uh, like, social media and things like that. It's basically just whatever Donald Trump wants. It's not the the traditional, you know, small government, less regulation, uh, lower taxes, that type of thing. And what has me worried as somebody who kind of grew up in that tradition, kind of, you know, the Paul Ryan tradition, um, you know, it's been Trump has had a hold on the party since 2015 now, 2016. And so the whole you almost have a decade now where people are growing up without that sort of, you know, kind of traditional conservatism. So they're all going to forget that it ever even existed. So uh, we, we may never go back to that. I, I would bet that we probably don't because uh, conservatism as it is uh, defined now is something completely different. And, you know, the old, the old styles in the past now. Do you see it as some people do that 
it's the beginning of this great separation, this great rift in Republicans, whatever populists are and whatever traditional like Reagan conservatives are. Is this the beginning of that schism? I mean, there's a couple ways to look at it. It's, you know, yes, that certainly does exist. And, in, uh, you know, there are now think tanks that uh, that are there to promote Trumpism and all that thing, all that stuff. But when Trump goes away, I mean, does all of this still stick around? The the appeal to all of this is because Trump is the one carrying it. Now, can you find another candidate that's as charismatic and bombastic and all that stuff to carry this message out? I'm not sure you can. So I don't know what's going to happen at that point. You might very well have a split, maybe a third party, something like that. But um Right now, Trumpism is, is dominant, but it, it may only last as long as he's around. I was watching uh, Michael Smirconish's show on CNN on Saturday, and he was had a guest on. They were talking about the fact that, and Michael did a commentary on it, about the fact that we talk about Trump, members of the media, we actually are, are propelling Trump even more into the spotlight. Do you buy that, buy into that? Yeah, it's weird because, you know, the big criticism of cable networks in 2016 was that you showed every Trump rally and therefore gave him, you know, $60 million worth of free media or whatever. Uh, and so they're trying to, to do the opposite now and not show him at all. But then you have some columnists saying, like, look, you guys don't understand what Trump is actually saying. You have to you have to see Trump in order to believe what what he's actually standing for. Um, so. Now I think they may have overcorrected in the other the other direction where people see Trump as, you know, now they see him as a former president, whereas if you actually saw what he was saying, some of it is just complete loony off, you know, off the rails. Um, so they may be protecting him by not having him on now. Christian Snyder, author, columnist, joining us. We'll take a break here. After the break, is Trump actually trying to convince people that Nikki Haley is not eligible to be president? It seems what's somewhat startling, but we'll... Ask Christian about that question and more after this on WTMJ. My friend Christian Snyder, author and columnist, uh, does a lot of great work on the fun side of things, too, as well as great work on the uh, SNL podcast, which I'll, I'll let him talk about that in a little bit. Um, I asked her the question, or at least I teased the question before the break. Donald Trump's going around the country now and focusing, of course, on New Hampshire lately, uh, referring to Nikki Haley by her birth name, questioning her citizenship. She was born. She was born in this country, for Pete's sake. <laughs> I guess I, I understand why he's doing it because it, you know, it riles up his base. It tries to, you know, paint Im- immigrants as the en- enemy. But I mean, come on here. I mean, what are we doing? <laughs> well, that's the that's the ultimate question. I mean, uh, he's done this his entire career. He takes uh, anybody that's running against him that has like a skin tone darker than Jerry Seinfeld and tries <laughs> to make him into some secret, you know, secret foreigner. Um, he came. To to power within the GOP because he did, you know, the, the birther stuff with uh, Barack Obama. Then again, he did it with Ted Cruz, who was born in, uh, in Canada. Uh, then he did it with uh, um, Kamala Harris and now Nikki Haley. It, it's his go-to move. And you're right. He's starting to use her birth name, Nimarata. Um, and, it, you know, he, he's, purposely misspelling it to, to make it look like Nimrod. Right. <laughs> like, um, right. And it's just all, it's all so unseemly. And it's all nonsense, too, because, you know, Kamala Harris's parents were not U.S. citizens uh, at the time she was born in the U.S., and that's the same with, with Nikki Haley. So it's, a, it's all nonsense. It's just a, 
a screaming dog whistle, uh, a racist dog whistle, I should add, to uh, to his base. And, you know, everybody just seems to be fine with it. This is one of the crazier things that, uh, that uh, you know, we're not seeing by the the cable station's not showing Trump anymore is how, how out of, out of it he is now. He's, he's actually taken to calling, uh, Nikki Haley bird brain on, on social media. Like, I guess he can't remember her, her name anymore. So he just calls her bird brain. Um, so that's where we are. Congrats, America. We've 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 done it. <laughs> yeah. The other question you just raised, that I, I didn't think about, and we hadn't discussed it before the, the your appearance. Um, the decision made by I know MSNBC didn't cover any of the uh, the Trump uh, you know speech after Iowa, and I don't know what they'll do after New Hampshire. There's some pushback from other media organizations that say, you know what, if he's going to be the candidate, you, you kind of have to sort of cover that. Where do you where do you come down on that question? I mean, I think there's a middle ground between showing some of what he does without all of it. Uh, I think CNN, on the night that he won Iowa, they ran about five to ten minutes of him you know, thanking people. And he was actually fairly gracious after he won Iowa. Uh, and he talked a little bit. But then he immediately took a turn into, you know, immigrants are poisoning the blood of our nation, that type of stuff. And then they cut away from it uh, just because, yes, you have to show him, but are you then on the hook for kind of all the stuff that he says that could be harmful or damaging or, um, but on the other hand, you know, he is, he is the front runner. He's probably going to be, there's a 50, 50 chance he's going to be president in a couple of years. So I don't know. It's a tough one for tough one for cable news. I'm having an ongoing social media conversation about the way that we select our nominees. And, and I'm, I'm discussing with a Republican strategist who said the system is just fine. The, the caucus, in Iowa, early New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada. Um, and I would argue that given where we're at politically in this country and the hyperpartisanship, lack of effective policy and legislation in Congress, that we are failing miserably. Um, what do you think? Well, the fact that we're going to end up with a, an election that 70% of Americans don't want shows you that the process is broken. Um, and I've written for years about ways to fix it, you know, wait through the through the primary process, uh, you know, switching up, you know, having regional primaries. So it's not just Iowa and New Hampshire every year because they're not really that representative of the U.S. in general. Um, you know, just the way that we hold primaries, like let's cut down these candidates, you know, week after week. So we finally get to to what we want. It just doesn't make sense the way we do it. And it doesn't. It also doesn't help that, you know, when we do have a front runner, you have guys like Ron DeSantis, who you remember at the beginning of the campaign when Donald Trump called Ron DeSantis a groomer and said that he liked to take young girls out and mm-hmm. give them beer and things like that. And then you have DeSantis dropping out and endorsing him, <laughs> endorsing Donald Trump, the man who said all this, who called him Ron Dank, the sanctimonious for months and months. It's just it's just so awful. You know, these people are unwilling to stand up because they want a future in the party. And, you know, that's just the way we are. I actually wrote about this four years ago. Um, I look back at Richard Nixon and all the Republicans that stood by Richard Nixon, uh, you know, well after it was it was clear that he was, uh, you know, going to lose the presidency. And you had names like Ronald Reagan and George Bush, George H.W. Bush, who all stuck with Nixon through the bit to the better end, and it helped them in their careers later on. So 
that's obviously the blueprint of what people are doing here. If you want to keep your career alive, you got to stick with Trump. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past Nikki Haley to endorse Trump at some point when she's finally out of the race. But, you know, that's what you got to do, I guess. That was my next question. If she if she endorses Trump, like, how, how do you stand there after that announcement? What, you know, whether she does it or not, we don't know. And then endorse the person that you just challenged for not for lying and for, you know, it's the Ted Cruz thing. He basically stood up there a few years ago and said, you'll never attack my wife, blah, blah, blah. And then here he is, you know, a couple of weeks ago endorsing Trump for president. I don't know how you can do that with a straight face and not feel like you just sold your soul to the devil. Right. People like Ron DeSantis and Tim Scott and Ted Cruz, these are these are the reason people hate politicians. But because we have politicians like that, they feel like they need a strong man like Donald Trump, which, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's ironic and it's working at cross purposes, but that's where we are. So, um, yeah, I mean, DeSantis literally a week ago said, you know, you could be the worst candidate, but as long as you kiss the ring for Donald Trump, he'll support you. And then he gets out of the race and, of course, he, he kisses the ring immediately. So, yeah. That's the quality of politician we have in America today. All right. We're going to take a break. I want to talk about some of the fun after the break. What season of SNL are you now watching? Watching uh, almost done with 15. 15. You only got, what, 30 <laughs> left? 35 to go. <laughs> Christian Snyder joining us on WTMG. We'll take a quick break here, and we'll wrap the show talking about something fun with uh, a guy who knows his stuff when it comes to SNL and a lot of other things after this. Talking with uh, Christian Snyder, author, columnist. His book, Anti-Knowledge, I, it's, it's, the full name is Essays from the Era of Negotiable Truth. And uh, Chris and I often refer to this as a great uh, airplane read. I read it on my way back from Italy uh, last year. And I've actually gone back and reread some of the stuff, and it's, it's a kind of a, a great sample. It's, it's sort of like a Reader's Digest of all the issues, cultural issues, political issues that we've talked about for years. I, it's, a, it's a brilliant piece, and I guess my, it kind of leads into my next question. Like, when's your next book coming out? uh i mean i've scribbled a little bit here and there but uh it's gonna be a while this this snl thing having having to watch a full season of snl every week is is kind of taking up all my time yeah he's he he, along with i think it's scott bertram is that right yes yes i have watched every episode of now through season 15 you said correct uh of the the great show saturday night live and uh, their podcast is amazing, and it looks at you know, the cast of characters, and then there's a lot of cast of characters. So what is season 15 saying to you? Well, season 14 uh, is in our grading. We go through and we grade every single sketch and every single episode. It was the best season that we've graded so far, even counting the first five seasons with all the original cast. Um, you know, you have Phil Hartman, you have Dana Carvey, you have John Lovitz, who's actually amazing, mm-hmm. and who I, you know, you kind of think of him as the third fiddle behind the the big guys. But John Lovitz is amazing, as is Victoria Jackson, who uh, gets a bad rap sometimes just because of her voice. But uh, so yeah, we're on to season fifteen. It's not it's not great. Uh, Mike Myers just joined the the cast, so you have uh, a lot of Wayne's World. You have uh, Sprockets. I don't know if you remember. Oh that yeah, all. yeah, that German guy uh, jumping around. Yeah. Now's the time when Sprockets can only dance. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's picking up. You've had the we've had the same cast now, I think, for four years, and then 
season 16 is when a young man by the name of Chris Farley shows up. So, wow. It uh, is amazing that the people that have been on that show, and that speaks to the longevity of that program. Yeah, I mean, you see echoes of of culture and, you know, even in the politics that we see today uh, are all echoed in, in past episodes. It kind of gives you an idea that nothing's ever really new. Um, I mean, you just saw this weekend, uh, Jacob Elordi was the uh, was the host, and there are like three sketches about how good looking he is. Yeah, he's good looking, but most people don't know who the heck he is. Right. People were complaining online that like the only joke that the show had this week was that he's good looking. But <laughs> right. we, uh, you know, you go back to season fourteen when Mel Gibson hosted, and little that's literally the same the same thing when Mel Gibson hosted. There's one. There's a sketch called Mel Gibson Dream Gynecologist, who uh, has the you know the kind of same kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it's kind of kind of neat seeing the echoes through the years. How can folks find the podcast? It's at uh, wasn't that special dot com. That's wasn't that special dot com. It's all one word. Uh, and then on uh, X Twitter, you can find it at Fifty Years of SNL. Christian Snyder, always great to talk to you. We'll do it again in a couple of weeks. Yeah, thanks for having me.